Good morning. Uh, we're in a series on relationships. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But want to look in the camera and say good morning to the chapel in Richmond, Scott's edition. Love you guys. Love all God's doing in the life of our church. And it's exciting student weekend. They had a lock-in and overnight. Thanks to all the leaders that went without sleep. Come on, somebody. And uh, proud of you guys. Excited about what God's doing in the life of our church. And I just want to pause and give a huge thank you to you for all of your generosity. We rolled out uh, three months ago or two months ago, we started something called Next and uh, to, to expand our ministry and build a building, lobby people and everything. And uh, just got a report that uh, uh, not pledged, but actually in 22%, come on, in, in two and a half months of what's needed is in. So thank you for your incredible generosity. So many of you jumping in, together we can make this happen. So just wanted to give you an update. We're in the middle of finalizing some blueprints and some stuff to, to finalize the details of the last architecture part to get it approved by the county and then we'll be breaking ground. So thank you for your uh, generosity on behalf of people whose lives are being changed and making space for the future. Thank you, Chapel, for your generosity. Amen. Well, um, we're in a series on relationships, and uh, how many know it's Father's Day? Come on, it just is Father's Day, and so, and so we got uh, we just we just appreciate all the dads here. And uh, one of the things I love, in fact, I was just thinking of it a couple weeks ago. We had a men's breakfast between the two campuses, had like 400 guys involved, and I love because we had some older guys and some really little guys involved all at once, and. I love what God's doing in the life of our church, in the men of our church. How many know God has a plan for men and, uh, and a purpose for them? And so we honor you guys today. And uh, This series on relationships really uh, I built it all around today's message. And so I filled in the other, other weeks because I, I had to. But, but I, we're in this series on Nehemiah a few months ago. And when I read one verse, it just hit me. And it captured me, and I, and I said, man, I'm going to do this in June. And so I want to just show you it, because it's been on my heart for a couple months. It, Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall, and he said, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Look at this. And fight for your families. Come on, somebody, and what? And fight for your how many know we're in a fight? If you don't know we're in a fight, we're in a fight. We're, we're in a fight for, for the fabric of, of the generations to come. We're in a fabric for our students and our young people and our young adults and our kids. And I just want to say to every young-ish person, we are a church that's fighting for you. We're standing with you. We believe in generations. People everywhere complaining about generations to come. We're a part of a church that's believing God still has a purpose and a plan for generations to come. And, Fight for your families. In fact, he says, fight for your families, for your, for your sons and for your daughters, for your, for your marriages, for your homes. Fight, fight. I mean, no, not fight with your family. <laughs> fight for your family, right? Some of you are like, I've already accomplished that today on the way to church. <laughs> I want you to know I haven't. Of course, I drive separate on Sunday, so... <laughs> I got to preach, and I said, I don't need to, you know, well, you know what I mean, you know. How many know what I mean, right? People engage, you don't get it, but you'll get it. 
And you know, there's so much about the generations right now. In fact, gen, I came, you know, Generation Z, this is, uh, this is people born between 1995 and 2015. And this is, uh, this is people ages 7 to 27. They're in this generation called Generation Z. And their, their level of engagement in faith is a little bit less than previous generations in our culture. In fact, you know, two out of every three in this generation is leaving the church or has already left the church in this generation. In fact, you read the studies, uh, anxiety and depression and detached uh, uh, relationships and COVID. How many know COVID kind of made everything worse? And, 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 and so we're, in fact, in, in actual faith studies, only 3% of this generation is reading their Bibles daily. And so... We're living in a battle for for um, for this generation, and we're we're a church. I feel like God kind of called me to to rattle the cage a little bit. To, that's what I'm doing today. Just rattle, the, come on, kind of rattle the cage of the chapel and, and of our own lives as a dad and a pastor, straight from the heart, just to rattle our our cage and say today that this generation wants us to fight for them. Okay. And that this, this, is a, this is a battle and we can't be, you can't be pretending you're on a cruise ship when you're on a battleship. And you can't be pretending you're on vacation when you're at war. And so there's a challenge for the values, the beliefs, the mind, the future of this generation. And I just feel like God has a purpose and a plan for them. In fact, I, one of our sister churches did a study um, on, on, they literally just surveyed their students and asked them, what do you wish your parents knew? And the, the students answered this question, I wish my parents knew, and look at, I wish my parents knew that even though my actions don't always show it, I desperately want to please them, okay? I wish my parents knew how much I love them even though I don't always say it, right? I look at this one, I wish my parents knew how much I treasured their advice even when I acted like I couldn't care less. How many know what I'm talking about, Right? I wish, here's dads, come on, I wish my parents knew how much I loved holding my dad's hand even when I would act like it embarrassed me, right? Dads, let's hug our daughters. I thought that'd get a bigger amen, but okay. <laughs> I'll get at that later. I know what to preach next week. And, uh, and so this is a calling on us to fight for our families. And this is a message this weekend for every young person and every grandma and grandpa and every mom and dad and aunt and uncle. It's, it's, it's a message for the older to invest in the younger. It's a message to the younger to step into the line of battle. In fact, I want to say to every young person here, the Bible's filled with young people that were used of God. In fact, most theologians believe Mary was in her late teens when she gave birth to Jesus, okay? So you say, well, I can't lead a Bible study. Well, Mary gave birth to the Lord. So I think you should do a little more. Daniel and his friends were hijacked out of Jerusalem and brought into Babylon as teenage young men and kept their faith in a foreign culture. David was just a shepherd boy when he stepped up and knocked down a big Goliath. It's excuses to extend adolescence and pretend that our young people can't become who God's designed them to be. We believe in you and we're calling that out of you this weekend that God has that in your life. I want us to look, though, at this passage in Nehemiah 4 because the walls are down. And the amazing thing with the walls down is that uh, uh, it's a picture of the value system and the structure, the infrastructure of relationships down in the culture there. And there's a breakdown of values, not only a physical breakdown in Nehemiah, but a spiritual breakdown in Nehemiah in the world there because, uh, because the values have been, have been knocked down. 
And, and Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the walls as a way of, as a way of just uh, creating new structure and a new spiritual life and new physical life in the future of God's people. And, and so he leads this plan. In fact, he describes it here in Nehemiah 4. He says to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. And so whenever you hear the, science, the sound of the trumpet, join us there. So he says, I'm going to sound a trumpet because we're all building different parts of the wall. But when I sound the trumpet, we're going to all come together and here's what's going to happen. Our God will fight for us. I, I feel like there's two things happening in our culture. There's a rise in the, in the dissolution of faith and values. But I also feel like there's a rise happening in our land and spiritual temperature of people who say this is a season for light to shine. How many know light shines even brighter in darkness, right? You can light a candle at noon outside on a sunny day. It doesn't look like much, but when you turn the lights off in a home and you light up that candle, it shines bright. And Nehemiah is telling the people it's time to rebuild. And that's, that's my message for us today. It's time to rebuild. Come on, it's time to Come on, turn to the person next to you and tell them it's time to rebuild. Come on, tell them that. It's time to rebuild, okay? And I want to show you a few things that we need to fight for, students, parents, a few things we need to fight for. The first thing Nehemiah does is he says, we're all separated on the wall, and so there's going to be some times we're going to sound the trumpet, and when we sound the trumpet, it's time to come together. It's, here's the first thing I think we need to fight for in generations to come. Fight, fight for the right kind of friends in our lives. How many know oh, we are the product of the people we spend time with? I mean, the books we read and the people we're with shape us maybe more than anything else. And I, I, think, I think we need to pray for our young people that God would bring the right kind of Jesus-loving, uh, 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 Holy Spirit-filled, passionate young people into their life. How many want that for your kids, right? And fight for their friends. In fact, in fact, I've, I've been saying this the last few weeks, and it's been fun to see all that God's doing. And, and we're not saying this because we're desperate to have people come back to the church because a lot of people are here. But I, I just, I feel like I'm saying it not to fill the room. I'm saying it because I feel like some people got out of the habit of coming to church. So I'm going to look in the back of the room at the camera and say, if you're staying home for physical reasons, you stay home and you be safe. But I do have a message for all the, the bathrobe Christians that just got used to not coming to church. You say, Pastor, but I can hear the sermon and the, and the worship. Oh, you, might, you might not just need a sermon and a worship. You might need a hug in the lobby. And so I'm inviting you back to church. In fact, Jesus went to church. Did you know Jesus? In fact, even in, in his earthly life, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And he went to the synagogue as, come on, was his what? How many know if Jesus went to church, we need church? <laughs> If the Son of God went regularly to worship and sit under the teaching of God's word, we need this. And, and in fact, I, I'm just convinced of this, and I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes, but I'm probably going to anyways. If you don't prioritize church, you can't expect your kids one day to prioritize church. And so if everything's an excuse to miss, and I, and I once in a while show up, and then the next generation, we're kind of saying, hey guys, where were you in all this? How many know we can't ask kids to be what we're not? I remember as a kid, we'd go on vacation. My dad would make us to go to church on vacation. We'd be going to a camp, my grandpa's camp in Cape Vincent. He'd drag us to this little Baptist church. It had 20 people. The pastor's name was Dwayne Benny. His name was Dwayne, but it was rural. This is rural New York, okay? Dwayne. There ain't no Dwayne there. This is Dwayne. The church was so little, they asked us to do special music. We'd walk in. Little kids, just me and my cousins. You guys want to sing today? And we'd be like... 
Sure, we learned that the old people gave us money when we sang. So we're like, we sure do want to sing. We just, this little light of mine. The kids are just, I don't know if that tossed the right thing or the wrong thing. But I'm just telling you this, we need relationships. We need to pray for God to bring godly friends and influences into our, into our young people's lives. Because the Bible actually tells us that Proverbs is iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens another friend. That there's something about the friction of two people that love and trust and treasure Jesus doing life together that sharpens, strengthens, challenges, and calls us to become something. And we believe God wants healthy relationships, right? In fact, we're doing something this, this summer that we've never done before, and we're strategically placing it right before the fall, right before our young adults go back to college or our students go back to school, and we're calling it, come on, you're going to love it, we're calling it Motion Conference. Come on, say Motion Conference. Here's what it is. It's, it's three days of multiple preachers, multiple speakers, some in-house, some we're bringing in from out of state, worship teams, small groups, breakout. It's three, here's the big idea. We're trying to get our kids in God's presence for three days before they head back into the fall of whatever's facing them. And here's what we're believing, that maybe God could do in one moment what we could not do in an hour, right? Or two hours or two years. And so we're just saying, God, would you do something? So we, we, I think we have a couple hundred signed up already. Uh, we're believing God that, that will fill this room with just young, junior high, senior high, young adults who want to know, love, trust, and treasure Jesus. So sign up your student. If the cost of it is, uh, is a problem, you just let us know. We'll make scholarships available. We won't let anybody not make it if cost is a problem. But I just, I think we need to get our students in the presence of God and in the presence of other students that love Jesus. Amen. So we're trying, to, we're trying to fight for our friends. And Nehemiah said there was another problem, and that is that as they're building this wall, people would come over and just taunt them. They say, you're going to get attacked over and over again. He says, 10 times, they just keep telling them, you're going to get attacked, you're going to get attacked, you're going to get attacked. And I can't help but feel like as a pastor, this is just a feeling that I have, that there's certain things that are under attack in our world. And so I want us to not only fight for friends, Here's the second one. I really feel, feel this on my heart this weekend. We need to fight for godly values. Okay, so we need to fight for godly values in our students and in our young people and in our culture. Because I think there's been some lies told in our culture and, and some lies about what to believe or what not to believe. And I, I want to bring uh, to your attention that Nehemiah says that as they're building the wall, they had half the people with spears and shields and bows and armor. And they posted people behind the people who were building the wall. And they, they, had, they had, in one hand, they had a sword. And in another hand, they had bricks to rebuild the wall. And so they're literally building and battling, building and battling, building and battling. And I thought, man, that's what it's like to be a parent in the world right now, right? To build and to battle, to build and to battle. So I want to share with you just this weekend three lies that, that I think, I think this is what the enemy does. First sin in Genesis, did God really say? And so he comes and tries to do, I want to share with you a few value lies that I think exist in our world. Would you just write these down this weekend? Three value lies that I think the world is saying right now. Here's the first one. God's word isn't true. So the Bible's outdated. It's not up to date with current culture. I mean, I mean, Jesus isn't on TikTok, right? So, 
And so, so there's this culture lie that maybe the Bible isn't true or it's outdated or it was written for an antiquated time. Well, Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. In fact, I think it's a lie to think that what's new is true and what's old is bad, right? And so Paul actually says, here's how the early church received God's word. We thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from it, from us, you accepted it. Look at this. Not as the word of men. Watch this. But as it actually is, help me out, the what? The word of God. And then he says, here's how powerful the word of God is. It's at work in you who believe. And I love this about our church. You just need to know this because there's a bunch of new people. You're in a church that really believes that the Bible is God's book to God's people. That the Bible is God's word. We think when we open this little moment of us teaching, nobody cares about a speaker standing up and just blabbering on for 35 minutes. But what we're trying to do is open God's word and say, God, would you speak to us? And would you give us ears to hear what you speak to us? And so God's word is his word. And when we believe it and receive it, not as the word of men, but as the word of God, it does something on the inside of us. And I meet people, especially young people who say, well, what do I do with parts of the Bible that I'm not really liking right now? Let me give you a quote that might help you this weekend. If your God never disagrees with you, You might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. So here's the deal. You got to decide and I got to decide when I read the Bible and I disagree with it, if I'm going to try to make the Bible conform to me or I'm going to make me conform to the Bible. And I think especially this month with what's going on in our world, there's this push to make the Bible. It didn't really say that. You don't really get it. It's not really like that. No, no, no. Did you actually know? Blah, 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 blah. And let me just say this, God God has given us his living, the grass withers and the flowers fade and the word of the Lord stands forever. Hey church, we're not trying to stand on the word to be separate from the world. We're just trying to stand on the word because it's God's direction for us. It's his, it's his guidance. It's the rule of our faith and practice. We are sola scriptura. All, All, everything we do is under the authority of God's holy word. Can I get an amen to that? Right? So, so we got to be people of God's word, right? So I don't, I don't believe the Bible. And let me just say this to young people. You say, how can I be trusted? Do you know we have 25,000 manuscripts or manuscript pieces of different portions of the Bible? You could go into any university this weekend and, and Homer's Iliad has 648 or something manuscript pieces. And yet there's not an English department in the country that questions the authentic, authenticity of Homer's Iliad. And yet we have 20 to 25,000 Dead Sea Scrolls, hundreds of years old manuscript or manuscript evidences that prove to us this is not just a, a oh, I, this is manuscript evidence that God's word lives and abides and is true. It stood the test of time. In fact, one scholar said God's word it outlives all of its pallbearers right (laughs) meaning God's word is God's word right so I I don't believe in God's word here's the second one I think a value lie in our culture today and that is that individual people can define what's true sexually so each of us gets to decide what's good or bad right or wrong for each of us so, so if you think that, then I think that, then who cares? And then we each kind of move, move however we think. And the Bible warns against this kind of thinking. It actually says there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Okay, so here's what I'm saying this week. And not, I'm not trying to be judgmental or angry or, or mean-spirited in any way, but God's word has a plan for human sexuality. 
And in a following that, we are not trying to be mean-spirited or exclusive from culture. But friends, if we don't hold true to what is sacred, the pain that happens in our world because of it is enormous. And so you say, what is the plan? All right, let me just be really clear on it. In the way we read the Bible, real clear. In fact, I think it's the only way to read the Bible. This isn't like a guess. Is that God's designed marriage to be one man and one woman. And that any sexual, any sexual um, things that happen besides one man, one woman in the confines of marriage is sinful and less than God's best. And I'm not trying to throw stones. Hey, hear me on this. I'm not trying to throw stones, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, and I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. Hey, 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 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Anybody in this room need grace? Come on, right? So this is not a, this is not a, if you got it wrong, you got to, you know, you got to, no, no, there's, how many, how many are thankful for grace in this area, right? Yeah, thankful for grace. Many of us could share the story, thankful for grace, but we're simply saying this, there's a value push on our culture to tell our children whatever they feel they should do. And pastorally, I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people who did what they felt and the consequences, the pain, the difficulty. Why? Because this is true. Our passions need parameters. How many know a, a fire in the fireplace is a wonderful thing? How many know that same fire in your couch is not so wonderful. Fire in a fireplace, yep. Fire loose in your house, nope. How many know God's plan is not, to, is not to take away joy, but to create the confines for human flourishing, to give God glory in us joy? Because here's the third lie. I think it goes right along with it. Your life will be better if you're leading it. <laughs> So I know best for my life and I know what should be and I'm smart and, 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 and nobody else gets it like I get it. How many know that's a fool, right? In fact, the fool says, I get it. Nobody else gets it. In fact, be very careful when you alone get it. How many know that's true? Mm, nobody else gets it. I get it. The whole world doesn't get it. I am so smart. How many know we were made for wisdom and input, Right? And we say, oh, no, my life will be better with me leading it. The Bible says absolutely not. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. We were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with our bodies. Okay. So you could, you could say it this way. Giving up something now for something better isn't a sacrifice. It's an investment. Giving up something now for something better isn't a sacrifice. It's an investment. I was seven or eight years old when my parents decided to drive from Syracuse, New York to Orlando, Florida to go to Disney World. My dad tells the story of driving like 22 hours or whatever it was all the way down the coast. And, and we, we're on the second day. We're about to get there. It's like 6.30 in the morning. They pull in. They leave. We're going to get to the this park opens at 8 or 9. We'll be right there at opening. And they stop at McDonald's for breakfast. We're like 15 minutes from the Magic Kingdom and we're eating an egg McMuffin and there's a little McDonald's playland and so I'm out on that little, you know those little, I don't know if they have them anymore, but there used to be these little animals you could sit on and they just go like this. <laughs> that, that is it, like literally. So here we are, my, my parents spent all this money, they got park hopper passes, they're ready for Magic Kingdom, oh Mickey and Minnie, it's going to be great. And I'm, I'm the 
My parents finish their egg McMuffin. My dad tells a story of, they say, hey, Brandon, it's time to go. We're going to go to see Mickey and Minnie. And, I, and guess what I say? No. <laughs> I, I want to stay right here. My dad's like, what do you mean? I'll stay right Ah, dad, this is just awesome. <laughs> How many know my dad was done with it? He's like, are you serious? Egg McMuffin and a, this kid, you know. And he tells the story of being just a few minutes from the magic kingdom, but I'm entertaining myself with something so inferior. And I'm here to tell you today that sometimes people hear the commands of God as restrictive. They are not restrictive. When we're saying self-sacrifice, all you're doing is trading the Hamburglar in for Mickey and Minnie, okay? And some of us have said, no, 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 if I do things God's way, it's restrictive. If I wait till marriage, if I do it this way, it's restrictive. No, no, no. It's the God of the universe who designed us to bring him glory and created us for human flourishing. That when we do things God's way, it's not a sacrifice. It's an investment into something better. How many know a fish never says, it's so restrictive that I have to stay in the water? How many, know God, how many know God has a plan and a purpose for us spiritually, sexually, relationally, and we need to believe that? I got anybody agree with that this weekend? Like we need to commit to that. Okay, okay so Nehemiah says, here's what we got to figure out. The work is, ex is, is extensive and spread out, and we're widely separated from each other on the wall. So we're all doing our own thing. So we need to figure out a way that we get people together. And so he says, whenever I blow the, the trumpet, then we all come together. So he says, we're all out there building a piece of the wall. How are we going to get together? So here's what I'm saying. Not only fight for friendships and not only fight for values. We need to fight for our young people. That We need to fight not just for rules, but come on, somebody. We need to fight for relationship. We need to fight for relationship with our young people. Relationship. Relationship. We need to fight for ways to connect and be with one another. How many know it's possible as a mom and dad, I think I've done this before, to, to shepherd a student's behavior rather than shepherd their heart, right? To, to do behavior modification. Don't you dare, you know, you better. Yeah. But how many know there's something deeper? It's called the heart, right? In fact, Paul talks about this kind of relational ministry as he writes to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and been convinced of. Look at this phrase, continue in what you learned and been convinced of. You'd think he then says, because you know it's true. But he doesn't. He says, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Here's what he's saying, that our lives are not just shaped by mental assent, a transfer of information, but by the impartation of relationship with one another. This is why I love the local church, because how many know there are some things you can't learn, you have, to do, you have to experience in community with other people, right? It's why I'm sometimes fearful in some of our academic institutions and university, because it's not just the teaching of information, it's the impartation of a spirit, of a heart. It's an impartation of one person to another. It's, it's why there's something so sweet about getting a grandchild around a grandfather or grandmother who has a heart for the Lord. There's an imp How many know there's just an impartation of something? There's a relational connection one with another. And I think we need to be people that fight for, come on, fight for relationship. Come on, say that with me. Fight for what? Fight for, for relationship. I'm trying to figure out every way I can in this season of life to connect with my kids more. So I, I, listen, I was trying to figure out a sport we could all do. I just started playing pickleball. Come on, somebody. We're, any pickleball fans, I'm going to start a small group because anybody, anybody younger play pickleball? Because it's just, you say, what's pickleball? It's lazy man's tennis. 
It's just a way for me to play a sport with my kids and my wife and let, let everyone can participate. I mean, I still dominate them, but I'm just saying. I'm just trying to find something that we could all do. I just, like I said, I just want, I want relationship. I mean, of course I want to win. I'll keep it close till the end. But, but how many know we need to fight for relationship, right? We're doing something we've never done before, and it's going to be multi-generational. And we're doing our first ever this summer, first ever, come on, men's night, okay? So, so, so this means young men, old men, in-between men, middle-aged men. You say, what kind of man? Don't worry, just young, old, middle-aged, extra old, everybody. Just going to get us all together. Why? Because I know what it's like as a parent to have taught my kids something, and then they hear one of you say it, and they say, Dad, you'll never guess. Guess what Bill said? The same thing I said for three years. How many know we need community with one another, right? Relationship, wisdom, community, connection. If you haven't registered for men's night, you need to register for men's night. If you're a man here and you want to register for men's night, do that. If you're, register him for it. If, he, if he's not doing it, say, I'll register you. You go on. And uh, we're going to throw axes and light things on fire. And we'll have a pedicure section for the sensitive guys. We'll do it all. That's where I'd be, but uh, that's, where are the men who've had a pedicure Oh, sure. Come on. Just you and me admitting it. <laughs> Not that I have, but I've heard. I've heard they're nice. And uh, all right. The psalmist teaches us about relationship when he says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Right. How many know the longer you live life, the more you realize how short life is. And here's what wisdom is. It's waking up every day and just living my days on purpose. What do I want to do this summer? What are my priorities? What are the relationships I need to invest in? It isn't, it isn't, one person said, it isn't about counting your days. It's just, it's about making your days count, right? It's about saying, I'm going to be purposeful. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be relational. I'm going to be focused to invest in, in those who, who, uh, who I need to invest in. Fight for relationships. We're going to move at the end of the sermon in just a few minutes into water baptism. So I know we're going to do that in Scott's edition as well. But if you're here in this room or in the lobby and you're being baptized, you can go out this door to that way right now. I just make it real obvious. Come on, let's tell them we're proud of them. Can't wait today. Excited to celebrate baptism with you guys in just a minute. Come on, give it up. Proud of you guys. Awesome, 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 awesome. 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 Well, let me give you one more verse as we're getting ready to close. And, you know, once you fight for relationship and you fight for values and, and you fight for friendship, making sure well, you do the right things. And the question is, does, I thought, started thinking to myself, does it all re rely upon us? And I came across this verse as Nehemiah is telling us, we're going to do all these things to fight. But let's remember this, in all our fighting, we have a God who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. How many know our God will fight for us, right? Here's what he's saying. He has a conviction that we're going to do the part we can do. But how many know there are some things we can't do? Moms and dads, isn't it a comfort to know God loves our kids more than we do? And we're tempted to say, no, 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 I've got to control. This is going to be a tendency for me. I'm going to control. I'm going to, no, no, no I'm going to control. As if though by a sheer act of will, I can determine the outcome, right? <laughs> and I need to remember that there's a God who's in all our fighting, 
is that God is coming alongside of us and he's saying, I'm going to help you. I'm going to fight alongside of you. I'm going to fight for you. I love that. I love that child. I created them in the, I, I have a plan and a purpose. Our God can fight for us. It was uh, two and a half years ago that my wife um, got a letter. My wife's adopted from her biological mom and changed our whole world. It changed her world. And um, It was from her biological mom saying, should we meet? And My wife had a great upbringing. Her mom and dad, Ron and Doris, are the most godly, wonderful people there are. And all of a sudden, <laughs> four kids in our 40s, just with everything going normal in life, she gets a chance to meet her, her biological mom. And I'll spare a lot of the details. She shared some of them with you. But we finally got to meet her mom. She had to meet her. And that night, we got to meet, um, we got to meet her family, her mom. We, first of all, you got to make sure they're normal. You know. So you do that whole thing. How'd that go? She seems great, normal. Okay. So we're staying. You know, like. So that night, our kids weren't with us. We're, this first trip was alone. We're in Sarasota, Florida. And she said, if it'd be okay, I'd love for you to meet the rest of the family. And we didn't know what the rest of the family met, except that night, we walked into a house with 35 people that kind of looked like Katie. It was weird. <laughs> and aunts and uncles met her grandma and grandpa, right? They were in their 90, I don't know, they were up there. And in fact, I think it was only the grandpa was there. The grandmother had had surgery, and so we got to actually go to a hospital. It was an incredible experience to see her. And she had just had hip surgery, and on the wall was pictures of all her different grandkids. And I look, and I see our picture there. And I was like, this is weird. And they began to tell the story how 41 years ago, a teenage girl in college got pregnant and didn't wanted the baby to have a father and wanted to do the hard thing put her up for adoption found her a Christian home and for 41 years the whole family had prayed trusted God and didn't know where she was and hoped it was the right decision and finally later on in life just had to find out if it was right and we stood there and met grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and cousins and people that give us beach houses I mean it was wonderful just to stay in you know it was wonderful. I was like, so Sarasota, you guys have any time I could use this place? And you know what? I saw that there was a whole family that had no idea what had happened to this girl, but they had prayed and they had trusted. Sat with her mom who said, every day I wondered, I prayed, God, that it would be, and you know what? God, God did it. Tell me about your life. And they came up to Rich. Just, how many know there are things we can do and then there are times we just entrust them to the Lord? How many know God does what we can't do, Right. And we walked away and thought, man, look at the prayer of one 19-year-old girl who put her daughter in the hands of God. And look at what God did in placing her in just the right spot and letting her grow up and be, they couldn't admit, they could, pastor's wife, are you kidding me? I, this whole thing, you know. Here's all I'm saying. Sometimes we think we have to control the outcome. And sometimes we got to be reminded this weekend that our God will fight for us. Here it is. We've got to trust that God's fighting for our kids. We've got to trust this weekend that God's fighting for our kids. We've got to trust that the God who loves our kids even more than we do is fighting for them. And we're going to do our best and we're going to teach the values and we're going to put them in the presence of God. But ultimately, we're going to trust that there's a God who has them in the palm of his hands and who has a plan and a purpose for their life. Our God will fight for them. Any moms and dads claiming that and believing that this weekend, trusting the Lord for that.
Come on, let me pray for us. I mean, pray for us. And then right at the end of the prayer, I'll turn it over to Scott's edition. God, we hold our hands out to you today and we give you our families. God, pray for every father this Father's Day for the courage for us to be the gentle, sacrificial, servant-hearted leaders, laying down our life, pro protecting, providing, guiding. God, do that in dads, moms, sons, daughters. God, you said you'd restore the hearts of children to fathers and fathers. Did you, God, you'd work in the lives of people. So we surrender every relationship, every family, every situation, oh God. We're gonna do our best, Lord, to fight for your kingdom come and your will be done in this. But ultimately, Jesus, we are so in need of a God who can help us, a God who loves our family even more than we do. And so we in humble desperation entrust our families to you. In Jesus' strong name we pray, amen.